Hi everyone and welcome to 21 Questions, the podcast where we tackle 21 big questions about life, faith and Christianity in about 20 minutes during 2021. Yes, Mike, you're in a different place. You're at the church building. I'm in a different place. I'm out in the office because the kids are going to get home soon and I've been kicked out. But anyway, (laughs) my name is Rich Jones and I'm a pastor at Limrock Church. have been for uh, 16 years or so and this is my good friend and colleague and fellow pastor, Mike Shooter. And uh, it's a joy to be with you again. Yeah, we are now into episode nine, uh, but the whole series is available on our YouTube channel, Living Rock Church. You can also get audio versions of all the podcasts on all major podcasting platforms. Just search 21 questions. Um, you can head over to uh, livingrock.church forward slash 21 questions, and you can find everything there. And all the links you could ever need anyway will be in the description below. So don't worry about any of that. So we are back for part two this week of God versus Science, Who Wins? In the first episode, we covered uh, more the origins of the universe and physics and cosmology. And in this episode, we will look more at how the universe sustains life and biology. So uh, it should be fun. Yeah. And we talked a bit about the origins of the universe and then got into the point of where here we are. We're talking, we're having this conversation. And and if 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 you're alive today watching this, if you're dead today watching this, that's really weird. But if, you, if you're alive today watching this, you know, you've got to ask the question, am I here by luck? Am I here by chance? Um, talks about how tiny we are in the context of our planet, which is small in the context of our massive solar system, which is small within the galaxy, et cetera, et cetera. And then, and then you've got the universe on top. And the fact that we are living, breathing, rationalizing, conscious beings with the ability to think and question i mean we're asking 21 questions so we can do that that we can moralize that we can create in an environment that allows us to do all of those things to exist yeah. alongside other humans to exist in the context of other animals and plants and you know all the flora and fauna that we that we live amongst and, and on a planet that sustains life all over apart from some incredibly harsh parts of it you know are we just lucky and, yeah. and um, or, or is there some form of intelligence, some form of creator behind all of this? And to provide an environment like Earth that sustains and, and, and p- permits life to go on requires an absolute balance of multiple things, um, physical and mathematical laws and rules that allow that to happen, including super fine definitions of of gravity how much gravity there needs to be how the 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 way that electromagnetism works and how everything kind of stays within a safe distance of of one one another and um and and i've heard it said you know simply put that if you change just a little bit of the laws and the constants of nature then the whole universe will change and essentially probably just break down or certainly the opportunity to live and and that kind of Simply put, is saying like the Goldilocks principle, which is that everything has to be just right <laughs> for life to exist in the way that it does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that that kind of uh, the technical term for the Goldilocks principle is like <laughs> fine tuning. And um, for me personally, I, I think fine tuning is one of the scientific um, dis- like uh, theories and disciplines and stuff yeah. that it, it probably most convinces me that there is intelligent design behind the universe uh, from a scientific perspective because um when you start to look at fine-tuning we'll get into that in a second essentially you're talking about ridiculously out there numbers that um 
you just have to dismiss it all as we got lucky. But when we get into some of these numbers in a second, I find that way harder to believe than that actually there's design. If it was a lottery, you wouldn't be buying a ticket. That's how low and slim the chances are, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> um, so essentially, with fine-tuning, there's essentially 30 different, uh, 30 different fundamental numbers in the universe um, that make up why the universe can function in the way it does. For example, we've already touched on it, and we'll go into a bit more detail on this one, um, gravity. Yeah. So the force of gravity is so perfectly balanced. All these numbers are so perfectly balanced that even the slightest change would mean the entire universe would not be viable to support life. Right. So take gravity. Um, you can you can argue we got lucky, but let's look at the numbers. Um, gravity, uh, gravity is actually really weak as a force. Um, mm -hmm. Considering how much it affects everything, it, it doesn't actually have that much power. But every atom in the universe has a gravitational pull that um, exerts and pulls on every other particle. So right. when you know when an, a footballer inevitably falls over in a game, um, it's, yeah, exactly, that, exactly. Both <laughs> rugby fans here. Um, it's the combined it's the combined gravitational pull of every atom in and around that that footballer, um, and of course their incredible acting skills as they dive um, <laughs> that cause them to fall to the floor. Right. And gravity is essentially the universe's superglue. It holds everything together, um, but it's holding it together in the perfect balance. It's holding mm. it together um, from the smallest insect to planets and solar systems and galaxies. Um, but if that force were too strong, the universe would essentially be glued together and pulled together and crushed together. Mm -hmm. um, so let's have a look at the number when it comes to the wiggle room that we have with gravity. How is it more than eight? Is it more than eight? It is slightly more than eight. One and eight. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the value we're talking about here, scientists would tell us that if the force of gravity differed from its value um, from one to the power of 60, um, so we're talking one with 60 zeros after it, or in numbers, that's one trillion, 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 trillion. That is a massive number and a minuscule window of error for gravity to be wrong. Okay. Right. One trillion, 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 trillionth out, and it doesn't work. Everything falls apart. And that's just one of 30 examples wow. where everything has to be so perfect. There's a guy called Justin Brearley who's like a Christian apologist and speaker, and he uses this analogy, which helps me to comprehend that number. Um, and he puts it quite helpfully. So the odds of um, of gravity happening in that way are the same. It's the same odds as rolling a six-sided die, uh, die yeah. 80 times and right. it landing on six every time. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot, but it's the same likelihood. Um, and if you took five seconds for each of those die rolls, it would take you multiple trillions of years to actually roll 60 uh sorry 80 sixes on a die with right. multiple trillions of years and we i mean we've only been around for 14 trillion so but the universe if, yeah. you, if you subscribe to that view so we haven't even had the time to do that yet yeah, yeah. which is absolutely mind-boggling not even close 
Uh, yeah, and and for me, fine tuning. This is just one example of fine tuning, but it's such an interesting topic. And for me, what I take from it is, if I'm to be intellectually honest with myself, it is much much harder, like I said at the beginning, to believe that that was all an accident mm. rather than that there was some sort of design involved, because yeah. the numbers are just so massive. And 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 like I say, that's just one of thirty different um, known fundamental numbers, um, because. Right. Again, science is a shifting discipline. All this stuff is getting mm. found out more and more. Um, and for me, that's the most likely conclusion within fine-tuning, that there was some sort of design involved. Yeah. In it. Yeah. Um, and that's why we need to explore the why. Because yeah. how, but what, what's the why behind all of that? Yeah, and I think science scientists, mathematicians have said, you know, the chances of this one universe providing the perfect environment for life and for everything else that you've described is as close to zero that it's almost an impossibility that 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 we're here. You know, there's um, yeah. a British mathematician called Roger Penrose, and he calculated that based on only one of not even thirty, but hundreds of parameters of the physical universe. So he's getting taking right. it even more down <laughs> he said that the probability of the emergence of a life-giving cosmos was one divided by 10 raised to the power of 10 and again raised to the power of 123 which <laughs> i like it's just well, there's no point trying to figure out that number, just saying the number is so funny. it's almost like as close to zero as anyone has ever imagined and Wow. And that the probability is much, much smaller than winning the mega millions <laughs> jackpot in the lottery for more days than the universe has been in existence. Wow. So it's winning the lottery every day for 14 billion years is more likely than getting to this number. Wow. And, and, you know, it's just so slim that many scientists have acknowledged that. have said, well, actually, do you know what? There isn't a universe. There are, there, there, we're, there's a multiverse. So there are multiple universes because then at least you start to increase your chances because if there's lots of universes then one of those universes the probability of that one being able to sustain life at least kind of give yourself a bit more of a of a chance you know multiple universes so so john lennox simply puts this is we have two options either blind chance that requires um, multitudes of universes because the universe theory is so small um or that design is yeah. is the other alternative um and and therefore requires only one universe right so you know that and then within that you know we are talking about the the birth and the origin of life not the birth of the universe but the birth of life the law of biogenesis yeah and the law of biogenesis is essentially um in this material natural world all life comes from previously existing life of its own kind yeah. So what, what we're saying with that law is that no biological experiment has ever observed or produced a living organism from non-living chemicals. Mm. That's what we're saying. So there's no evidence that something comes from nothing. Yeah. The universe is designed in a way that something breeds something else, something developed. Yeah. Yeah. And um, many believe that we came through a process of evolution that began in a primordial or primeval soup where non-living chemicals and compounds somehow developed into living single-celled organisms. Yeah. Um, yeah, and in the mid-1800s, when Charles Darwin's theory of life evolving from this sort of warm little pond, essentially, mm. started to become really seriously challenged 100 years later when these advances in science, which we talked about, you know, science is constantly 
progressing um, and finding out more things. You know, Francis um, Crick and or Watson and Crick discovered the intricate coding and arrangement of the triple helix in DNA, and and this DNA being found in every single cell nucleus of of every single living creature. So right down to single cell organisms like amoeba, and and so what Charles Darwin was describing sounded quite like it could happen, but even with the discovery of DNA, which is found in multiple aspects of a cell, again, the production of this incredibly complex structure just is very difficult to explain of a progress from non-living to living chemicals. Yeah, and again, we talked about this a little bit in the previous episode, but gradual evolution is the current theory, yet everything we see in um, in nature and in science um points towards entropy rather than advance the the yeah. idea that if you leave something it, it descends into chaos and disorder not yeah. um order and uh, order and advance i mean again yeah. i used this example last time but it's it's the picture of a garden if i leave my garden it mm -hmm. becomes unordered and chaos i mean to be honest if you look at my garden it's you could argue it's that anyway but it's in a bit more order if i actually get out there and do something with it um <laughs> so we why would we assume that life began in a way that nature hasn't shown us it yeah. developed in any other way? Yeah. Yeah. I say progress to disorder rather than ever increasing order. And like, mm. and then, and then when they started to look at cells, you know, and they just thought that the, um, the um, protoplasm within a cell was just a sort of a jelly that held everything together. When they actually started to, through microscopic technology, understand that actually they were organelles, they were, um, systems within the system of a cell, which is itself the basic building block of of organs and systems, and, and that, we, that form whole um, complex organisms, whether it's a human being or anything else. You know that there are mitochondria and ribosomes and Gol Golgi apparatus, and they all have very specific functions to enable the cell to function to, to to work properly. Um, you take a single cell organism like an amoeba or other things that have flagellum, little kind of motors that move them along. And they, they're made of 40 distinct um, separate parts to enable that to happen. We're talking about a single cell organism. And so, you know, it's, for me, it's like, okay, the, the complexity of life is phenomenal, even down to mm. the simplest single cell organism. And we're saying, honestly, hand on heart, we believe that these things came by chance from non-living chemicals. And I think the Bible gives a, gives a different perspective yeah yeah i mean the biblical answer is that there's a designer and an intelligent yeah. e eternal creator who made all things he's the originator of life um and this does require faith in the supernatural and when we say supernatural we're not uh, that that word has a lot of connotations but what we're saying is something that is beyond natural laws and science something mm. that can't be observed in the natural world and i'd argue that anything living that comes from something that is non-living is yeah. supernature it's beyond yeah. nature um, and so yeah. why wouldn't we assume that it that there is some sort of creator behind what we've seen and what we can observe it's non-living to living, and then it's this evidence of design, this teleological argument, you know, the, mm. the attributes of design in biology, because we're talking predominantly about biology. And if you look at any living organism, there are lots of similarities. We have a lot of things in common with other creatures and animals, which is why I think evolution, um, the theory of evolution came about. You know, we have similar, yeah. similar chemicals, we're made up of similar genetic code, have similar cell structures, which are obviously the building blocks of of complex organs and that form organ systems and 
You look at the animal kingdom, there are a lot of things we share in common with other animals. And of course, as you move through the taxonomic ranks and, you know, from uh, to the to the phylum of, of mammals, for example, um, again, you find more similarities. And people said, yeah, you go, that proves that we've all come from the same origin. But actually, you could also argue that when a designer has a, a, a pattern that works, they use that design in in other ways to produce other things. But they're still the same um, essential building blocks behind it, you know, that. Yeah. So, it, you know, it kind of for me, I, I don't believe that really disproves God. I think once you found something that works, you use it time and again. That happens constantly in technology, in engineering, mm-hmm. um, in, in art, in lots of different ways. And yeah. and I think God uses the same thing. And for me, the evidence of sophistication and of intricacy, yeah. the inbuilt direction to help achieve a goal the um, unlikelihood of things happening independently of design prove that some things aren't created there or they're not there by chance. Mm. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a difference between finding a rock and finding a watch. One says that could just be there by chance. The other one says, no, this, this has a, this has a designer. Yeah. Another example would be like, if you saw a dead mouse lying next to a lump of wood, you could reason that there was no real design. It's just a lump of wood has fallen on a mouse and that mouse is, is is dead but you if you then start to look at that lump of wood and you realize oh this is this is something more than that it's a mouse trap yeah it's got it's made up of six parts there's a spring and a base and there's bait and there's a trigger and there's a metal trap you know that this mouse is trapped by design because design points to a designer yeah um yeah absolutely yeah and I, I worked as a physiotherapist for a number of years and I just I just want to share this little story at the end. You know, we, we had a hand surgeon come in and do some in-service training with us and he talked about the intricacies of the human hand, which is a phenomenal piece of engineering. Like it's a totally technical technologically savvy piece of equipment. And he was describing the flex tendons of the finger. And it, obviously our fingers are made up of um, of three parts, you know, uh, and they're all called phalanges. So you've got your proximal, your middle and your distal phalange. And, and actually in the hand, there are tendons that, that um, run up and attach at different points in our finger joints so that we can move our fingers in different ways. And he was saying surgically to repair a flexor tendon of the finger is a nightmare because of the intricacies of how the tendons are aligned. He said there's a, a, a flexor tendon called um, flexor digitorum profundus and of another course. tendon called flexor, um, flexor digitorum superficialis. See, I, it was, it's I'm like 20 years since I've worked. <laughs> but what happens is that um, flexor digitorum profundus passes through superficialis. And so superficialis attaches at your middle phalange and profundus attaches at your distal phalange. And it allows you to be able to do different movements. But he said if that's ru- cut, cut or ruptured in any sort of way, it's a nightmare because the, the superficialis tendon splits to allow the profundus tendon to pass through it. And, and so there's a splitting of the tendon so that one tendon can pass through the other perfectly and together then they can give you the intricacy of the movement of the human finger. Wow. And just, this is just one little part of our, of our body, one little part of our anatomy that is just phenomenally intricate and, wow. and just to me spoke of design. And people in the department knew I was a Christian and, and one of the ladies came up to me at the end, she said, you're, I know you're a Christian. She said, when I listened to that guy describe, the surgeon described the intricacies of the, the tendons in the hand, she thought, there must be a God. 
Yeah. This can't have happened by chance. And I just, we just, that's all we want to say today a little bit is in biology, there is incredible luck that we're here and able to, that life is able to exist, mm. that life could come from non living chemicals, and that within that, then the life that's been produced is so complex and intricate, really deserves thought and investigation. Absolutely. The biblical view is that all life began through the intentional act of a creator God mm. who chose to make a vast array of creatures, diverse yet with many similar basic properties and yeah. set them up to coexist in an environment that enabled them to live, thrive, reproduce and perpetuate their species. Yeah. And really in, in all this, like, like uh, you said there, Rich, we're, we're just saying this is worth some serious thought. Yeah. When it comes to science, when it comes to biology, physics, cosmology, chemistry, with all these different aspects of science, there is a huge amount of evidence that points towards this creator. And um, I, I think it the, the, the purpose of these two sessions really has been, look, if you are looking at faith and saying, I can't go there, I can't allow my head to go there because of science, mm. actually... There's a lot of stuff within science that says there might be something to faith. Yeah. And um, so, again, like always, we really hope that these two sessions have been helpful for you. We'll be back next time with some, uh, some other topics and uh, we'll hopefully see you again. Thanks, Thanks a lot. lot.